0: Hello, welcome back to Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we talk about all the things surrounding the beautiful game, but just none of the stuff happening on the field. My name is Louie, and I am joined here with my amazing co-host, Brendan, and our newest awesome co-host, Mikey. What's up, y'all? What's up, world? Before we get into this week's episode, we really just wanted to apologize for the lack of episodes over the last four months. Uh, A lot of stuff was going on in our personal lives. We decided to take a step back, reassess what we were doing, and kind of... uh, see when we could come back with new fresh ideas and really try to liven it up. So here we are. We're back. We're excited to be recording new episodes and we cannot wait to show you guys all the new stuff we have coming out. So, uh hit that subscribe button make sure you check out our youtube it is www.youtube.com slash soccer please go subscribe because we do have a lot of awesome stuff coming your way you can also follow us on instagram at trouble soccer keep up to date with us we post a lot of funny shit on there please go give us a follow we really appreciate that and enough of our babbling let's get into this week's episode Alrighty guys, so before we get into the topics for this week, we just wanted to give uh, our newest co-host Mikey a chance to kind of tell you guys a little bit about himself. So Mikey, take it away. Hey
1: y'all, I'm
0: Mikey. For some of you guys who do watch us on YouTube, you will recognize Mikey, he was on the Trouble Top 10 show with me. So Mikey, uh, who do you support? Uh, The Mighty Arsenal. The Mighty Mighty Arsenal.
2: How long have you been a supporter of the Mighty Mighty Arsenal?
1: Since 2010.
2: So 2010, what made you become an Arsenal fan?
1: Um, that World Cup, I found my favorite player at that moment, who was Cesc Fabregas, which cause, uh the captain of Arsenal, still super young, and then he broke my heart.
2: You, you fell in love with the team after f-
1: falling in love with Cesc? I fell in love with the team after falling in love with Cesc, yes.
0: Mikey also really enjoys disappointment in his life, so he's been <laughs> at home ever since.
2: And if I'm not mistaken, you also have an Arsenal tattoo on your body, correct? Correct, hundred percent. So, so you're you're in it for life. For at this life. Point. When did you make that decision to go in it for life? Um, I about just told you he's lo- really loves <laughs> disappointment.
1: But I think like two years in. Okay. After Cesc left for Barcelona, I was, I mean, it looked glum for me. Yep. I wasn't going to support Barcelona, though. Fucking hate that club. Yeah.
0: Stupid bunch of pricks.
1: We should have beat them in the Champions League.
0: Anyway, Mike, is there anything else you want the Culture FC listeners to know about you? Cool. Sounds good. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And moving along to this week's topics, we really just kind of wanted to do a kind of a catch-up episode and all the things that have gone on while we've been off the air. So, first, we want to start off with the big one. Atlanta United winning the MLS Cup back in December Atlanta United packed 70,000 people into the Mercedes-Benz and pretty easily beat the Portland Timbers to a nice, at their first MLS Cup win.
2: Did you watch the game, though?
0: I did. It was the first time I ever made bets on a game, and I lost all four of my bets.
2: You lost all four of your bets? You can made you... bets on the game?
0: Absolutely. It was the first time I ever went to <laughs> can sports bets. Can,
2: di- can you divulge into all what right, you so bet I for? I thought that it was going to be Atlanta
0: United. I'm pretty sure it was a bet on someone scoring in the bracket between the 20th and 30th minute. Pretty much just lost all the bets. <laughs> <laughs> um which is surprising because I knew Atlanta were going to win and I I bet that Atlanta was going to win but I did it by the wrong margin so it's all right I just lost all over the place. Hey. You'll probably do it this year.
1: You might have another chance to redeem yourself.
0: Maybe maybe so. I might just start taking up sports betting a little bit more often in my life. But anyway, but yeah, I mean what I wanted to focus on with this topic is just what it means for US soccer as a whole. I mean We've exhausted probably everything we could possibly say about Atlanta on this podcast. If you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you know that we've had a pretty close connection with Atlanta, with their supporters. We've interviewed Greg Garza. So there's a lot of cool—we we do like Atlanta quite a bit. But what this win meant, at least in my eyes, is that the rest of the United States kind of started to pay attention to Atlanta. You know, 70,000 people at a final? Like, that's crazy. You know, those are Super Bowl numbers. It that's a, that's nuts.
1: And they do it often. It's not like they this is a first-time thing. They do this often.
0: Exactly. And it was just really good and awesome for them to do it in an MLS final, you know what I mean, where a lot more people were paying attention to the sport. Um, but, you know, everybody's already talked about how great this part of the MLS final was. My favorite part about Atlanta winning the MLS Cup final is the fact that they took the MLS Cup to Magic City. For those of you who do not know... Magic City is a famous strip joint in Atlanta. the 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 Atlanta United had strippers' booties going up and down on the MLS Cup.
2: And uh, it's been described as a legendary strip club that should be familiar to anyone who knows anything about rap music. Some of the people who have attended said Magic City, <clears throat> Tupac, Biggie, Michael Jordan, and then. Um, Future's 35th birthday party, they actually renamed the club Future City. And Drake allegedly had an armored truck delivered $100,000 worth of like cash to the strip club for said event. So tying into what Atlanta United kind of gathered from Atlanta, Atlanta culture, like the rap music, this only solidifies just how intermingled those two things are. And it also adds for just, like, a a killer, like, historical event to happen. Now, like, 20 years down the line, it's going to be like, hey, remember when Atlanta United won and brought their thing to the the strip club?
0: No, because my, my theory on this is that every single club that wins the MLS Cup final needs to take the MLS Cup to their local strip joint because that's just what it needs to happen. Like, we need to set a precedent from now on. It should be, like, champagne parades and, you know, celebrations and also strip club booties like that was what the mls cup deserved
1: <laughs> but i feel like some of the rural ones like you're not supposed to do that you know what i mean like magic city is a mecca in atlanta okay supposedly
0: i mean i i guess i can it might be a little strange if like portland had won and they tried to bring the MLS Cup to a strip club in Portland. They should bring it to a Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Portland, I've never been to your city. Um, if you have cool strip clubs, let me know. We might come and take a visit out. Um, but what I love the most about this is because the fact that I'm almost 100% certain that every other n- major North American sport has had their trophy at their local strip joints. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. The, I would um, assume the NH- so. The NHL Cup has definitely made it to a strip joint. The NBA trophies LeBron's definitely, definitely brought it to a strip club. Absolutely. And so I think it's a new part of our growth as a soccer culture here in America. It just means that not only did a million different news places start re- uh, reporting on the fact that Atlanta United took this trophy to the strip joint, but also like it just brought more attention to what's going on in Atlanta United, and it's amazing.
1: I think it's great for the culture. I didn't know soccer players were allowed into strip clubs, especially one like this one.
0: Right, you know what I mean? Like, you have all of these celebrities, like B just said. You had Drake, all these different... Tupac, all these crazy legends of the rap game at the strip joint. And now you have soccer players frequenting it. I think that's part of equality. And if this country stands for anything, it's equality. So, stripper booties for everybody.
2: (laughs) I think it would have been hilarious. Because you got to assume... That some of these dudes were a little uncomfortable going to Magic City. You have to assume that somebody on the Atlanta United roster was at least a little weirded out. I wonder just to be a fly on that wall to see like like all these dudes come in and just like see the one guy who's just like, I'm going for the team, but like I don't want to be here at but all. But
0: like, think about it. They also have like younger dudes on the roster, right? Like Andrew Carlton or some of these younger guys it's that true. are like their They're up and comers, like they're not twenty one. (laughs) Like, could they go to the strippy? Like, that's
1: pretty dope. That's true. I did not think about that. So I mean that must be dope.
0: But anyway, I just I thought that was probably the highlight of the MLS offseason. Um and I'm sure plenty of other stuff happened, like player movements or whatever. But yeah, just a
2: quick little tidbit. I know we don't really talk results and stuff, but on our own is now out of the MLS and into the Premier League. So that's a huge thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was like twenty four million U uh, S dollars, which is like the biggest amount paid for an MLS player. It was crazy to see, and not to mention, in three games with Newcastle, he's been he's been doing pretty well. He's been I've involved. Been, in- I've
2: been watching just for him, just because to see how just his he's lightning out there, and he like you see him how bad he wants it, and I think that just goes to show that like the MLS is not like a, a lame game anymore. Exactly, they're they're showing the
1: real deal. <laughs> They're showing that players playing in the MLS bring big money like offers.
0: Yeah. And, and it's funny because I've been on uh, I've been on like the different MLS groups. I'm on Facebook or whatever and just kind of reading stuff online. A lot of people in the States have been following uh, Miguel Almarone specifically con- like, because they want to see how an MLS player does in the prem. And so I think it was an amazing move for him. It was the right move for him. It was the right move for Atlanta. And, you know, they replaced him with a dude who had just won the Copa Libertadores with River, and it's like, you you're it's a win 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 for everybody. Atlanta gets a brand new young exciting talent. Almirón gets his big money move to a major team in a major league, which he wanted, which he wanted, and Atlanta and MLS got twenty four million dollars in their pockets. And I mean, of course, there's plenty of Atlanta fans who miss Almirón, and I get that, but at the same time, like. You're gonna have you have to evolve, right? And so, I thought that was major.
1: It's I think it's big for the for MLS for the league. You, you're going to see a lot of players with real talent potentially leaving for big clubs.
0: And I think it's interesting because. You know the MLS has been making investments slightly different than they have in the past. You know, before a lot of the you know young DPS or or these major players on these teams, they were older guys that we've talked about a lot in this podcast. Older guys like Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, these guys that like they came over for a final paycheck. They didn't really produce all that much. But now you have a lot of teams that are investing in young South American talent. You know, you have Diego Rossi over at LAFC who. He's been having—he had a very good first season with LAFC, and if he can build upon that, he might, you know, be another big money move. But there are a bunch of guys in the MLS. I mean, even uh, Tyler Adams for the New York Red Bull ended up moving to the Red Bull Leipzig in Germany for a good amount of money as well. And and how could we even forget uh, Alfonso Davies coming from the Vancouver Whitecaps to— Uh, Bayern Munich for what at the time was the most expensive amount paid by an outside club for an MLS talent that was a 17 million something like that 15 17 something like that but it's been crazy because you know he's a huge talent so it's 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 really good to see how the MLS is growing in the global landscape of footy you know exactly Um, and I, I think that we're, we're hopefully going to see a, a new, you know, even uh, even Atlanta United's TIFO for the MLS Cup was this big train that said MLS 3.0. And I think we're officially in that 3.0 era. It's the, you know, it's a brand new time for the MLS. And I think it's exciting for everybody who's, who's a part of it. It's
1: definitely exciting.
0: Another one of the major news stories that we missed while we were away was the Copa Libertadores final. Uh, we talked a lot about this as a preview um, in one of our last few episodes. Um, and here's actually what we had to say about it um i'm trying to like put into perspective of, of some of our listeners like i know that if you're south american or, or of any uh, uh, kind of like latin origin you understand the importance of this game but uh for everyone else i'm trying to think like this would kind of be like if manchester united were playing liverpool in the champions league final but the champions league final was held over two legs one at old trafford one at anfield turned up to like seventy thousand.
2: yeah if the fans were um A hundred times more violent, a hundred times more passionate, and that's not. And that goes like because these both of these fan bases um, for United and Liverpool are passionate, but like you have no idea if you have to. You have to watch the YouTube videos because they've had games canceled because of violence. I mean, people have died in these games. It's not one of those like games where you're over exaggerating when you say like Aires is going to have to be on lockdown. Oh yeah, it's going to be fucking war zone. Like irrespective of anything else, like, and and if a team blows another one out, it might just be it might be the it might be the end.
0: Like the only way that one of these clubs is ever going to be able to make up for this loss will be if there is another final of the Libertadores where they play each other, which is already going to be almost impossible because usually combi ball doesn't allow these teams on separate sides of the bracket because like this is the thing that the actual organizing body of South American soccer has not allowed to happen in over sixty years because they know that it's so nuts so why they think now is a good time i don't know yeah but they usually never allowed have allowed these two clubs on the same side of the bracket for this specific reason but it's just amazing that it has worked out this way and i'm pumped dude like this is literally one of the most important games to have happened over the last i don't know 20 30 40 50 60 years like i don't know how to even quantify this game so the first leg happened and it was actually a 2-2 draw at el monumental for at river plate's home stadium And, you know, like we said, crowd was rowdy. Everybody was excited for this game. It was a massive moment for South American football on the global stage because, like we talked about during that episode, this was attracting attention from everywhere on the planet. Everybody was tuning into this game. And then what came after was a massive, massive disappointment. Second leg happens. Uh, Everybody's excited. They're waiting at uh, La Bombonera which is Boca Juniors' home stadium, and unfortunately, some dickheads, some assholes, some awful people that I refuse to consider football fans (coughs) decided to ruin this iconic, iconic moment by throwing stones at the team bus, knocking the driver out, and there was tear gas, and all of a sudden, this bus is going... Without a driver, one of the technical staff from Boca Juniors had to jump and grab hold of the wheel so that they wouldn't drive over the crowds of people that had gathered. Um, And players got cuts. People were getting tear gas in their eyes. And CONCACAF was set on trying to force Boca to play this game because they had all this money invested in this date. Long story short, the game did not happen. They originally rescheduled it for the following day. And then they originally rescheduled it for the following week. And then what ended up happening was that they rescheduled the game to not inside of Argentina, not inside of South America, but no. They moved the game to the Santiago Bernabeu in Madrid. And while you may be thinking, oh my God, the Bernabeu, beautiful stadium. It's amazing. Yeah, the Bernabeu is beautiful. It's awesome. It's amazing. But you know what it is? It is also a stadium in the Spanish capital. The Spanish, capital, Spain. <laughs> the Spanish capital that, re, that literally stands for everything that the Copa Libertadores does not. To give you a little background, the Copa Libertadores' the entire name is the Copa Libertadores de las Americas, which means it is the cup to commemorate the liberators of South America from Spain. And what's in Madrid? It's the capital. <laughs> it's where the, the people, the, the government of Spain lives.
1: The Spanish people live the, there.
0: The Spanish people live there. And the, do you know where the Spanish people also used to own? They used to own all of South America. So what I'm trying to say is that it was a, it was a massive slap in the face to all of South America, actually, and even Central America, that the, the biggest game for our game in, in South America was moved to where the people who, who oppressed our countries for so long. It's just absurd. It's crazy to me. It
1: was actually baffling at the
0: time. It was I mean, one of those things that made zero sense and everybody was just kind of like, "Yeah, but you know it's going to be even more global now. More people are going to care." And I'm like, "Maybe." But at the same time, it just it like when I tell you guys that that footy has history, soccer has history, I'm not I'm not like it, this is all tied to human experience. And so in my opinion like this, though, it was the worst place to move this game. Move this game to Brazil. Move this game to Chile, which is much safer than Argentina. Do not move it to the one place where you should not have moved it to. Literally. Keep it on the same continent. I don't get it.
2: Yeah, I was I was kind of taken aback because at first I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, globalization is awesome. But then at the same time, and even after hearing you kind of give a little bit more background information to someone who isn't really ingrained, I would say in Southern, um, South American politics and what have you. <laughs> um, it, it, it just didn't seem like just to put even just looking at the money to go travel to that stadium for like a diehard fan. Like they still did it. And I mean, some did, some did granted the ones who could afford it. But I feel like it definitely took it was way too big of a step. It was way too much.
0: And I think that you just hit on the probably the mo- the biggest point about all of this is that the reason people were so excited about this is that this was going to be a final where all of the fans could actually attend. You know what I mean? Like, if you were a Boca fan, you were going to the Boca leg of the game. If you were a River fan, you were going to the River uh, leg of the game. And the reason why is because we said this in the podcast, the last episode of the podcast is that uh, Argentine football does not allow away fans because of how much violence there is. Um, but either Especially
1: w- since these guys are direct rivals.
0: Especially because these guys are the two biggest rivals. I I will say this is probably the biggest rivalry on the planet. I, I said this on the episode that we yep. did. This is bigger than Real Madrid Barca. This is bigger than uh Manchester United Liverpool. This is bigger than anybody you could think of. This is El Super Clasico. Like this is massive.
1: I feel like Boca and River fans will die for their club.
0: Oh, they will and they and they have. And they have, and they have. <laughs> 100%. Um, but it's just like it went from being something that was wholesome. It was, uh, you know, the the pinnacle of the sport. It was going to be this major event for everybody to being a essentially like a celebrity tourist grab. You know what I mean? Like now, because it wasn't in Argentina, people were like, "Oh, cool, we're going, to, we'll go to Madrid. We'll spend a weekend in Madrid." The ticket prices were through the roof, and the Bernabeu wasn't even full for that game. It wasn't full, and so it all of it just ended up being, yeah, River won, and they're going to celebrate it as a win over their biggest rivals, but it. Definitely soured the experience, in my opinion. Hundred percent. If you're if you're a River or a Boca fan out there, send me a message. Send us a message on on Instagram <laughs> or something. I want to hear from you about how you feel about this final. Um, I have my personal feelings on it, but I don't support any either of your clubs.
2: So, I don't know. You guys let me know. And if you aren't as versed in the topic as Louie is, uh, shout out to Copa90. Shout out to Copa90. Derby days, They had one on El Super Classico. If you guys haven't watched it, we recommend you should.
0: It is an absolute phenomenal film. Uh, Ellie Menjin and the guys at Copa90 really killed it with this one. It's like an an hour long, but honestly, it is worth every second. These dudes were on the ground for both legs in Argentina, and they did a phenomenal job. Like, I could sit here and talk about it, but these dudes did such a good job that, fuck it, go watch them. Um, Honestly, it was really, really good. Bringing it back stateside, talking about some more MLS stuff here. Over this past weekend... Uh, The MLS unveiled a David Beckham statue. Now, I can talk about my love for Becks for hours. For (laughs) many different reasons. But I want to ask the two of you guys. First off, have
2: you guys seen this thing? I have. Uh, Yes. Initial thoughts? Initial thoughts? I didn't really love the statue. Like not- it's it's cool, it's in action and everything, but overall it didn't like kinda bring back like the Ronaldo a little bit. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. like is this yeah, just a just thing say it's not in as Soccer? As him. Yeah, oh.
0: I it was it was it was a little jarring. Like I get it. No statue's ever gonna look as sexy as that man, but at the same time, it's just it something's off about it. Um but anyway, like be said, it's in action, it's kinda cool. The mural they did was pretty sick too, but my my biggest thing about this statue is, how, how do you guys feel about the MLS giving David Beckham the statue?
1: I love it, to be honest. I believe that David Beckham did a lot for the MLS. Not just his, you know what I mean, his game time playing at LA, what he did for MLS culture. He was one of the biggest players to come to the MLS at the time.
0: Um, louder
1: especially as a DP and stuff like that. People were not expecting LA Galaxy to sign a person like him, even though it was, it was you know what I mean, his winding down days still had a huge impact.
0: Uh, well, I actually think it's a misconception that people have that he was winding down. Like, he was 31. Like, yeah, okay, technically not a- as young as, as possible. But, you know, we see, we've see we seen DPs come over at, like, 35, 36. Andre Pirlo was, like, thirty-nine or 38 and was playing until his 40s, I think. Something like that. So, you know, 31, that's still kind of in your prime. Um, and he was literally just coming off of his best season at Real Madrid, and he helped them to a title. So it's like it was a big-time move. So, Mikey, you think overall it was awesome that the MLS gave him the statue?
1: I think it's honestly great. You know what I mean? The, the mural was amazing. Statue is the statue. But, <laughs> you know, like he had a huge impact, and he definitely changed the way the league um, revolutionized itself
0: absolutely, and I think that there would be no other DPS. There would no, there would not be as lots on today if it wasn't for Bex, and there would not be. There might not even be a Jose Martinez or a Miguel Amiron it, because the MLS might have not even grown to the stat like the state that it is De- that it is today.
1: Definitely, I but, definitely do think that,
0: and I and I agree with you. But B, how do you how do you feel about this?
2: Uh, you know, dude, I don't think he deserved a statue. Look at Landon Donovan, you know, like that dude, I think what is it, six MLS cups this guy's raised in his hands, and you don't see any statues with him. I mean, granted, he's not a big in-house name.
0: It's this thing, right, where I I, I mean, I definitely think that David Beckham changed the landscape of the MLS, changed how it operates, changed how it existed, but this almost felt like a a statue of him for the business things that that the MLS accomplished not necessarily from a sporting side. Yeah, he was very good at his time here, but I don't know, like you said, Landon Donovan has 6 MLS cups and okay, they named the MVP trophy after him, but you know, there're plenty of other players that have won multiple MLS cups and have, you know, had a big impact on a sporting standpoint. You know what I mean? Like you have, you know, Brian Mullen won it 5 times. Uh Dwayne De Rosario won it 4 times. Uh you know, you have a bunch of other guys like Robbie Keane even for the Galaxy won it 3 times. Uh so it's definitely that thing, right? Like I don't know.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't think the gameplay aspect was the deciding factor on it. It was definitely what he did for the MLS that warranted that
0: so, now my question is this, right? So, when when a pl- I, I always have a weird feeling when a team gives a statue for a player that like wasn't like it's all-time best player because it's like in the NBA when you retire a jersey for a guy that like never won a championship. What happens 50, 60, 70 years down the line when your team might actually be good? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, granted, the LA Galaxy currently the the best team in the MLS in terms of how many MLS Cups they've they've won in their history. But so Bex wins one, right? Now, imagine in, like, let's say there's another golden era of the LA Galaxy in 30 or 40 years. And all of a sudden, this dude wins, another dude wins, like, five MLS Cups. Like, what happens then?
1: He's not going to have that number or that statue.
0: Isn't that wrong? Like, because this is actually the first statue in all of the MLS for a player. So, think about it. Like... What if God forbid the Re- Robert Kraft starts spending money on stops spending money on prostitutes and starts spending money on his fucking soccer team? What if they actually win an MLS Cup or two? And like, it's just weird. Oh
1: yeah, they're immediately getting a statue. Immediately getting a statue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like it's. I I just find it strange from a sporting standpoint when you give someone a statue when maybe they weren't the best player. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I oh and, and don't get me wrong, I love David Beckham. He is the one of the first idols I had in soccer. He's the only player I've ever watched endless hours of videos on how to take a free kick by David Beckham.
2: More like how to do your hair
0: like David Beckham, dude. Oh. I've well, I wish I could. Ha- I had hair like David Beckham. <laughs> I would do that too. But Bex is literally the only player that like I was like I need to watch his videos on YouTube to see how I can copy that man. And I love Bex. So don't get me wrong when I say that I don't think he deserved the statue. Don't get me wrong. I just think, like, if you had told me that one of Beck's former teams were giving him a statue, the LA Galaxy would not be the one I would pick.
1: No. Oh, did you also see that they built a soccer field for the community at a Salvation Army this weekend for David Beckham as well?
0: Oh, no. I didn't see that part.
1: Awesome for the culture.
0: That's really cool.
2: Is that where the mural is?
1: That is where the mural is.
2: Shout out to Mad Steez for the mural. Dude's a graffiti genius. Yeah. Super
1: dope. Brand new.
2: Huh! I didn't know it was at a, at a Salvation Army. That's sick. Yeah, I love that too. I mean, especially because you know a lot
0: of people. I've I've read it online that uh, people compare how a lot of NBA players came from playing street ball to how a majority of the best soccer players in the world came from playing street ball. So I love it when when club when clubs are building these you know these five side pitches or however big the pitch is in the community because it it really is an investment into. Uh, the community and future MLS success. You know what I mean? So I genuinely do love seeing that.
1: For sure. For sure. It's awesome. You know what I mean? You give the kids something they don't ha- they might not have. You know what I mean? They might not have a adequate soccer pitch for them to play. Now you give kids in the city somewhere to play, somewhere nice, actually.
0: Exactly. And I think that's a major key if we want to see future success from young kids in... in Uh, in the MLS and moving along to the main news topic of this week's episode, Chattanooga FC, a team from Chattanooga, Tennessee is going public as a club slash company. And I mean, public as in like, like the stock market, people are buying stocks in them. Basically they are the first sports team to do this since laws changed in 2016, that allows them to do it. And they are going to be, basically they followed the green Bay Packers, model of ownership for those of you guys who do not know uh i believe we have covered this a little bit when we talked about how german soccer clubs operate on this podcast before but the green bay packers they operate they are completely publicly owned by its fans people bought uh shares of the of their club and they literally own the club as if it's a publicly run company
1: i did not know that
0: yeah they are and the and i genuinely believe that that is directly tied to why they have an 80-year-long wait list for season tickets. Because they ingrain their their supporters as the people who actually support the club. They're not just fans who go and buy a hot dog and buy a t-shirt and that's it. These are fans that want to give their money to raise the Green Bay Packers up and that makes them more invested in the Green Bay Packers. Now, Chattanooga FC, they may not be a big-time club, Right. They are currently playing, I believe, in what we consider the fourth tier. Not that we have any fucking promotion or relegation, but that's a whole topic for another episode. But they essentially (coughs) reside in the fourth-ish division-ish of American soccer. So the reason that Chattanooga FC wanted to go public in the first place is that they want to grow as a club. They see that clearly the MLS and the U.S. Soccer Federation are not going to do anything to help small clubs grow. And essentially the only way you can grow is if you're rich which is bullshit, by the way. So Chattanooga FC shares my view on this and they decided that, you know what? We're going to raise money, become a public company, take that money and reinvest in our club and reinvest in our culture and reinvest in our community. And so far, it's been going pretty well. They've been able to sell their initial goal, which wasn't their total goal, but they, are, they were able to raise over $500,000 in, in, uh, in revenue from selling shares. But I think this is amazing. I think that this is phenomenal for a club to be able to do this. is It's a way of, of getting the American soccer community to support them. In a way, what's been happening is people from all over America have been <laughs> buying shares of Chattanooga FC, not just the people in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because a lot of people see this almost as a fight against the establishment, quote unquote, of uh, the MLS and the USS, USSF. Uh, they're realizing as well that clearly they don't care about the smaller clubs. And, for for people to have promotion and relegation, they need to see that the smaller clubs matter. They need to see that these smaller clubs can grow. So Chattanooga FC are taking their first steps into doing this. And they even quote it on the site of the uh, the WeFunder that they have. It says, Chattanooga FC is challenging the hierarchy of American soccer. That patient yet aggressive ambition has been the trademark of Chattanooga FC. Our goal has always been to establish a community-based club that will be around for 100 years, like soccer clubs around the world. And I think that's a major, major key is that they view it, and they want it to be a longevity thing. Um, but I just think it's awesome because they're not even charging that much, I guess, for a share in a way. But what are your guys' overall thoughts about this?
1: This is great, to be honest. It is a definitely a way to bring more fans to your club. Definitely bring more awareness. You know what I mean? Definitely let the fans get a chance to get engaged. Make it feel like it's their club as well, not just some club they support. You know what I mean? Does that, like that make sense?
2: Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And I, just to kind of piggyback off that, I mean, you think of American democracy, how like everyone's like, get out to vote. Like, you know, have your voice heard. And with this, this is exactly doing that. You 125 bucks, you get a vote, you get a pin, you get a yard sign, and you're going to be on their alternate jersey as all the people who invest in this club are also going to be on that merchandise and even that that small gesture makes that hundred twenty five dollar investment seem all the more wild. And I think you're going to see success from this club because there's going to be that much more involvement. Like Louis said, eighty years for a wait list to get season tickets is obscene. But you have to that's for the Packers. I know for the Packers. To think about an eighty year wait list for a football team in the United States, like that's obscene But when you think about what must go on to kind of create that community, wouldn't you want to emulate that any way you could? So I think by Chattanooga FC doing this, it only puts them in the fast track to becoming, I think, a big club.
0: And, I mean, don't get me wrong. When I say that they're, like, a small club, I just mean that based on their, like, position in this quote-unquote hierarchy that we have. But no team in the NPSL has drawn more fans over the past decade than Chattanooga FC. They've consistently set attendance records, and they actually had 18,000 fans at the NPSL National Final for a... If you've ever even heard of the NPSL, congratulations, because most people in America have not. It is a very tiny league. It is, you know, like I said, it's the fourth-ish tier of the, of the American soccer, whatever the fuck we have. Um, but it's, it's crazy that they're, they're drawing 18,000 people to a football, a, a, a soccer match. This is nuts. Like, this is a team that, like, I get it when the MLS draws in people. Like, it's the top tier of our sport. But this is what I've always said about American soccer. All you need is a platform. And I think that Chattanooga <laughs> FC is doing that. They're showing that people do care about the sport. They want to care about their communities. And they realize that soccer isn't just a business the way that the MLS tries to portray it as. Soccer matters. And when you take the approach of a community first mentality, it grows and fosters a real amazing culture around your club. And it just makes it all the better for it.
1: It just makes it feel like it's a family. You know what I mean? You're definitely a family with people like that. It's crazy to see that they have 19,000 people coming to their finals. You know what I mean? Some MLS teams have that for their attendance
0: pretty sure the Houston Dynamo averages like 12 people a game so the <laughs> fact that Chattanooga FC a team and, and don't get me wrong like Chattanooga isn't even a big city like this is a small suburban area i believe i don't like it's not a massive city in tennessee like they aren't one of the and they, they also uh, highlighted this in their wefunder uh, which i'll actually link in the show notes so you can guys if you want to take a look at it look by the way this isn't an advertisement for them none of us have bought chairs we just thought that the story was amazing um And basically what they outline is that Chattanooga is not one of the biggest TV markets. They don't have a huge metropolitan area that's going to attract a bunch of people. The MLS would never consider them as a club at all. So if they didn't do this to grow their club, there's very little that they could have done otherwise to grow their club and to grow the NPSL. So, you know, I just find that aspect of it so important.
1: You might see more clubs in their league. Or leagues above them starting to do this as well. You know what I mean? It's definitely going to bring a big awareness to a lot of clubs in the U.S.
0: And also, they did it in such a professional manner. Like the entire time I read through this, through their whole uh, WeFunder page, it seemed like everything is just so organized. They already have all the steps mapped out. And I think that other clubs should emulate this if they can, if it's possible, because clearly this is something that. Uh, people care for, and, like I said, all you need to do is give American soccer fans a platform, give them something to support in their communities, and people will gather you know we 've been seeing a lot of quote unquote lower level lower league teams drawing in a lot of support, even the ones in the u s l and things of that nature it's there are teams that are drawing in support for like a division two, a division three. Because the truth is, a lot of people might be disillusioned with the bullshit of the four major sports in the United States that feel too much like a business, you know? People want to feel a part of a community. At least that's my view on it.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels real. You know what I mean? When you say, like, the big four are a business, like, it definitely is, like, all they do is focus on their advertisements. Like, you don't want that. You want to feel like it's something real. You know what I mean? You watch those soccer players in your sm- small leagues; they go out and they will play their heart out for these clubs. And honestly, it's just it's crazy; it's amazing.
0: But yeah, go check them out. We'll link it below. Like I said, none of us have bought shares. Um, we're yeah. not advertising this. We're literally just we thought it was such a phenomenal uh, thing that was going on, and we really wanted to put it out there to the. 20 of you who hopefully will listen to this episode since we have lost probably all of our listeners. Uh, we hope that you guys can go check it out. Go give them some support.
1: Hey, if you're in Chattanooga, let us know. We'll come out to a game.
0: Please. We will fly <laughs> down to Chattanooga, Tennessee.
1: Hey, we're not investors yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might want to see my name on that jersey.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but I think that's a good place to put, put a stopper in this, fellas. Uh, first episode back. Feel a little rusty in terms of our podcasting abilities, <laughs> but it'll be good. We'll be getting better from here on out. Uh, but let us know what you guys think. We want a little bit more involvement from our listeners. We want to kind of change a little bit how we do the podcast. Let us know what you like about what we do. Let us know what we can change. Send us a DM on Instagram. Shit, I don't know. You probably f- could probably find our personals on Instagram too. <laughs> you DM us ourselves. I mean. Just get in contact with us. Let us know what you think about the podcast. You can also find us on our... Wow, I can't believe I didn't mention this at the beginning of the episode. We have an entire Instagram dedicated to this ep- of, to this podcast called culturef.c. You can find us on Instagram. Find us there. DM us there. Let us know what you think. Let us know how we can get better. Um,
1: let us know what you want to hear.
0: Absolutely. If you have any ideas for topics for the podcast, let us know. Uh we like I said at the beginning of this episode, we have a lot of things coming your way. We're doing a lot of things differently here at Trouble and we really want to start to incorporate a lot more of the very few people who listen to us. Uh so give us a shout, give us a DM and yeah, help us grow. We we really appreciate you guys listening and we love you. Final thoughts guys?
1: I'm just going to say it now. I forgot what I was going to say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> Last words. Uh, big, big welcome to, to to Mikey. Welcome to the family. We're excited to have him.
0: But all right, guys. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, we apologize for being away for so long. If you're still a fan, if you're still listening, it really does mean the world to us that you are taking 45 minutes to an hour out of your day once a week to listen to us ramble and talk about soccer. It means the world to us. Uh, In these four months away, I've really realized how much I enjoy making this content for you guys, even if there really is only 12 of you. Um,
1: We love all 12 of you.
0: Maybe not equally, but we do love all 12 of you. (laughs) (laughs) But no, seriously, I, I, I think I can speak for all three of us in saying that the three of us love talking about soccer. And it's just something that we want as a part of our lives. So being able to put out this podcast... Just it means the world to us, but you know, getting feedback and knowing that there is people who listen weekly really does make a whole lot of difference for us, and it's just awesome to be back.
1: It's awesome to be here,
0: and again, thank you for Mikey for joining us on this uh, next part of our journey. And uh, tune in next week, we might have more surprises for you. Like I said, we are changing things here, and yeah, catch you next week.